Welcome to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 6, The Statement of Randolph Carter by H.P. Lovecraft. Be aware of spoilers and trigger warnings for the following, supernatural murder, Soviet magic, and a weird clicking noise. So, I have to say, Damien, I am so terribly, terribly delighted that we aren't recording this back-to-back with our previous podcast. I'm glad that we do each one of these as a, 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 an individual artesian hand-built podcast. Yes, this is this is not your craft cheese. This is your handmade, straight-from-the-cow artisanal cheese podcast here. Oh, yeah. Yes. But this is artisanal cheese, not regular cheese. We hope you appreciate that. And you know what makes it artisanal is the fact that it's 11 o'clock p.m. And I just finished a Mountain Dew. (laughs) And so, you know, at this point in the night, who knows what's going to happen? I don't. Um, Except that I know what story we're going to talk about tonight. uh, I I just finished off a pot of coffee, but it's decaf. So um, I have a strong suspicion snoring might happen. Anyway, welcome to Weird Sequence. We're your hosts, Phil Allegheri. And Damien Haster. And this week we are covering the H.P. Lovecraft story, The Statement of Randolph Carter. Yes. Um, which, if you couldn't tell by that that tone right there, happens to be one of somebody's favorite stories. Yes. It's actually the first Lovecraft story that I ever read. And... and and the only reason that I knew about it, like, I hadn't really, like, I had heard of H.P. Lovecraft, but I hadn't really even known, like, what he was all about. And then I was listening to this podcast called Writing Excuses. That's about writing. That's uh, Brandon Sanderson's yes, podcast. Yes, Brandon Sanderson and, and Mary Robinette Kowal and Dan Wells. Um, and now they have a bunch of other people that help them, too, but... But on this one episode, they were talking about this story, about the statement of Randolph Carter. And the way that they described it, like, enthralled me so much that I went and, and found it and read it. And, and it's, I love this story. It's so... Short. It is short. <laughs> it's like a punch in the face. I think, I'll, I think on my, my ebook reader, this is three pages long. Not quite three pages long. Yes, in in my book, punch this, in the face is, is pretty accurate though. I'll, I'll this give you that. Uh, this story in my book starts on page sixty, and ends on page sixty four. So, it's a it's a pretty short a short read, but it is it is one of my favorite Lovecraft stories. I'm actually just going to pull my ebook reader out here. Um. Maybe while you're doing that, shall I summarize? Oh, we could just listen to dead air while I, I type silently on a perfectly flat screen. Oh, it's but, it's um, up to you. If you if you, if you, you if you really want to go ahead and summarize, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. that. So okay. uh, so this story kind of starts out in the same vein as the Telltale Heart. It's kind of it's not um, a travel log and it's not a, a retelling of local events. This is a stream of thought telling of an event that happened from someone who is currently in the custody of the police. Um, and the, 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 there's definitely some inspiration with 
with Poe in this story. Um, but the story that this that Randolph Carter is telling here is that he and and his friend Harley Warren um, went into the um, the swamps um, called Big Cypress Swamp, which is near Gainesville Pike. Which so they go into the swamp and um, they have um, some lanterns and shovels and a big a big roll of uh, coiled wire. And they go into the swamp and they find this old graveyard and they pry open one of the graves and inside there's a set of stairs going down and Harley Warren takes the phone receiver of the coil of wire and goes down into the tomb and Randolph Carter stays on the outside. And so the whole rest of the story is what Randolph Carter experiences from the outside. And Harley Warren is talking to him on the other side of the phone. And um, he starts to see weird and disturbing stuff that he can scarcely describe. It's so horrible. And maybe he shouldn't describe it because it's so horrible. And, and um, Randolph Carter is listening to this on the other side and is like, okay, you know, stay there. I'm coming down for you. And, and he's like, no, run away. Leave me. You know, put the put the put the lid back on this tomb, save yourself. And um, there's some great colloquial speech when he says he tells Randolph Carter, "Beat it! Just put the lid on and beat it." Um, and then is that is that colloquial or is that sort of more in a, an obsolete slang? Yeah, it's like a it's like a street slang and not not really colloquial. It's kind of a it's more of a generational thing like beat it it's not something that we say very often anymore unless you're talking about eggs Uh, (laughs) or michael jackson right well michael jackson popularized that again back in the 80s and then i think weird al actually brought eggs back into the conversation with beat it didn't he um so then Randolph Carter says, and then and then I heard the crowning horror come over the line, and then my experience ended, and I blacked out. But the very last line, it does the great Lovecraft-like last line in italics. Um, the thing that he hears on the other end of the phone is, you fool, Warren is dead. And then that's the end of the story. So, um, did I summarize that Okay. That, that that seemed pretty good to me. All right. Well, one one fun little thing to point out is this talks about um, this talks about going to Big Cypress Swamp um, on the Gainesville Pike. Now I know Pike is an old term for um, basically a toll road. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a Gainesville Pike from times when I've been in South Florida. Big Cypress Swamp is real. It's it's actually kind of close to Ever, uh, Everglades City, mm. um, which if Carl Hyacin has taught me anything, is prime Lovecraft territory. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. And, um, and Lovecraft did travel through Florida back in the day. He, he went did to, he? Yeah, he came to Miami and Key West. and um, Yeah, so he... he, my, he my, 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 only, uh, my only experience... Well, I mean, apart from the, the mandatory kind of trips to Key West and, and Miami, um, was a Dell Repair guy I worked with one time who was from Everglades City. And I'm I'm not going to discuss the rest of that conversation other than to say 
that is a fascinating place, and I never want to go there. Mm. Is it is it the uh, the Dunwich of Florida? I don't think it's that classy. Oh wow! Okay. There, there was there was some remark about twelve um, year olds getting tattoos. Oh, so but it's I, like oh, it, it's special. Have you special been? Have you been up there? My hand? Yeah, you have. It's on the way to the place we've both gone through. And then, uh, when when they had their whole fiasco with their police department getting shut down by the state, the, when the state came in to investigate, they they were looking through the the financial records of the police department and found that there was a a police squad car that was unaccounted for. And so <laughs> when they went asking about it, the only information they could get is that there was an incident in the swamp and nobody knows where it is. That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so um, I wish you that the horrifying monster that um, uh, Randolph, Car- well, uh, Warren, wait, what was the character's name? Harley Warren Harley encountered Warren. wasn't just a huge alligator. No, you know, maybe it was the, uh, maybe it was, um, what's the name of the, 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 the gator mascot? The University of Florida's. Albert, is that his name? Albert? I don't know. I... Oh, well, maybe it was that. Maybe it was Gator. Maybe it was uh, Harley Warren himself who is now transformed into some kind of otherworldly monstrosity. Maybe he, maybe he encountered Florida Man and it just got him. <laughs> That's a distinct possibility as well. Florida is a strange place. I don't know if you can tell. Florida is a fascinating place yeah. for all the wrong reasons. Um, um, so in terms of like the story, I think it's really interesting that it is like a stream of thought retelling a lot like the telltale heart. Um, that's not something that Lovecraft does or did very often in other stories that he's done. His retellings are usually always a lot more rational and well, they're, they're, they're both retellings and they're both re- retellings to sort of a police authority, mm-hmm. which is an interesting parallel. Yes. I don't know for sure. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that this story has some Poe inspiration because Lovecraft was, I mean, he loved Poe. Um, in fact, I think later in Lovecraft's career, there is a story that he co-wrote with someone that involves um, upwards of seven Edgar Allan Poe lookalikes or corpses or something. That's an interesting I don't, story. I don't know about an influence from Poe. I know, uh, or at least I've read that. I know when he started writing, he was he was heavily inspired by um, the Arabian Nights. Yes, uh, and there were there were some other um, authors that are big influences for him: uh, Lord Dunsany and uh, Algernon Blackwood, mm-hmm. and there were a couple others that are escaping my mind because eleven o'clock. Uh, but but i think i think in this story i think it's safe to say that there's telltale heart would have had an influence on the the structure of this story but you know um there are some other things that he does in here that that are really great classic lovecraft tropes including like um the the forbidden experiments that randolph carter and harley warren are doing are um you know terrible and 
and mysterious and and fortunately for us he doesn't remember what exactly they were because of how shocking his experience at the tomb was right this is um, the, the terrible unexplained experimentation would you say this would be an unreliable narrator well that's the trick isn't it uh you know at first and I, i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not sure because um this is told from Rand- Randolph Carter's point of view, and he right. he's describing his own broken recollection of what was happening there. So I don't I don't know if it it would necessarily strictly fit that definition. No, yeah, he's he's definitely not being like deceptive, right? Um, but, but but it is it is somebody who's dealing with um, forces beyond human comprehension, which is a very common uh, Lovecraft trope. Yes, it, it is dealing with um, you know science being deployed to try and analyze these um these kind of like otherworldly forces um what i find interesting in this one is he doesn't he doesn't really know what it is that they were trying to do right which normally you you know normally if you have something like you know mountains of madness they were there to try and find something right i don't think they necessarily what they found was what they were looking for but they were they were looking there to do some yeah. sort of exploration. Right. Um, with this one, whatever they were trying to do, he just literally doesn't remember, which I don't think there's another story like that. No, I don't think so. Because in other stories, there are always other people that can fill in the holes, kind of. The only thing yeah, that I'm he says... To, I'm trying to think of the, what's What's the story where the guy goes to the desert and there's the abandoned city and he goes... Uh, oh, absurdly that's, um, deep underground. The shadow out of time. Maybe. That's one of that's one of his last stories. That's that's actually kind of like a sequel to, the, at the mountains of madness. No, the shadow. Uh, the the time trick with is... the, sh- the shadow of time is he he, they go there specifically looking for, something evil, and he he finds something that's a little different to what he was finding in in. In the statement of Randall Carter, he doesn't remember why they went there. Right. The only thing he, the only thing he says is uh, that they were studying something about his theory, which was why certain corpses never decay but rest firm and fat in their tombs for a thousand years. Yeah, that's the only thing he really knows about it, and he knows that that um, he's read a whole bunch of forbidden books in all the languages that he's master. And that there's one book that he's never read that Harley Warren keeps in his pocket that has language that he doesn't he's never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also a great Lovecraft trope, the the forbidden book that nobody can read. Um, I can't think what it is. I don't. I don't think it's the Shadow Out of Time. It is. It's the one about the guy. The guy who uh, switches bodies with the with the the aliens. No, no, one? no, no, no. It's it's the they one go to where Australia? Um, it's the one where he goes to the desert and there's an. Or are you talking city about the, um, the oh, lost city? Oh, you know what? It might just be the lost city. Anyway, actually, now you say <laughs> that. Well, I feel silly for not remembering. There's one that. where where a guy <laughs> um, has has some lost time, and his like. He come, he's like a professor, and he comes out of his lost time and mm-hmm. finds that his. His wife has divorced him and his kids have disowned him except for one of his kids who chose to follow his footsteps as an archaeologist and 
And as he explores what happened during his last five years of time, he discovers that he was, um, he was, he had like a body switch with a, with an alien from a different planet. Um, and so he goes to explore that and ends up finding a terrible secret out in the Australian outback. So I found that story. It was uh, The Nameless City. Oh, that's a good one. Um, but the, for example, in, the, in the Nameless the, City... The weird alligator ghosts. Yes. But in The Nameless City, he goes down looking for something. Yes. And he finds something different. Um, mm-hmm. In Randolph Carter, I don't think Randolph is ever entirely aware of what it is they're looking for. I mean, he he doesn't remember a lot of why they were there or what they were doing, but... The implication is that Harley never told him what they were going to go and look for. Right. Harley kind of dominated him, which is interesting. And and I don't know if this is like a retcon on Lovecraft's part or what, but this is not the only Randolph Carter story. And Randolph Carter um, later becomes kind of like this uh, adventurer gentleman indiana jones kind of character except instead of archaeology he explores the dream worlds um and he's kind well, of uh i mean randall carter does um does say that he was sort of an accomplice uh who did shared research with with harley warren yes but he doesn't necessarily um i don't know i feel like if you're exploring this kind of material this sort of detail um, just having most of your memories wiped and waking up unconscious in a hospital bed wouldn't be one of those things that would phase you. So, uh, so the, the genesis Harley of this, this, a... this story is Harley Warren gets a book from India uh, in an unknown script that um, is never really explained to Randolph Carter or described what it contains um, other yeah. than it's critical to whatever it is that Harley is working on. Yeah, which deals with why some corpses don't decay. That's right, yes. Uh, which I think is probably a fairly understood uh, thing nowadays. <laughs> um, y- you know, um, have you ever watched Ask a Mortician? Mm, just the, just the, the few videos that you've linked to me. Um, Caitlin Dougherty is the, is the woman's name. She does this, this YouTube show called Ask a Mortician, where she's very... Um, death positive natural burial kind of person but she's also a licensed mortician and goes through well why do you embalm a body you know Mm. well here's the story that moby dick was based on and it's absolutely terrifying which that's a great episode you should listen to but she does actually talk about famous corpses she has this iconic corpses series and sometimes they don't necessarily know why they've survived like they expend ludicrous resources trying to figure out why a corpse stays intact Mm -hmm. um the immaculate saints and stuff like that and and whatever whatever the the answer is to that question i'm fairly certain it's not um forbidden eldritch knowledge but i think you you know you'd say that but having heard the description of lenin's corpse and how they prepare that i'm not convinced that's not true well soviet magic is different you know (laughs) Um, soviet magic that's the name of my next band (laughs) right Hey Damien, you want you went to a metal band? It's uh, it's called in, Soviet Magic. It, only if it's industrial baby metal. Industrial baby metal. Oh my god. 
Um, Indust- wait, wait. Industrial poker. Polka. Oh, that could be interesting. Huh. We need we need a hurdy-gurdy and three drum kits. <laughs> and a distortion pedal for the hurdy-gurdy. Oh, at least, at least uh, six per... Anyway. So... So my my theory about this is that he what they're really trying to do is they're trying to they're trying to find immortality in some way. That's just kind of the subtext that I read into it. Um, one thing that I think is really funny is that um, the the reason that Harley Warren gives for leaving Randolph Carter on the on the surface is because of his nerves. Um, and that's, you know, that's a pretty common, like, Victorian and Edwardian era medical malady. Like, oh, I just have weak nerves. You know, you just have to, you have to get fresh ner- fresh air because of your nerves. Oh, well, she's, she's and, clearly suffering from hysteria. Right, hysteria as well. Which was, I think, and, Freud's big um, analysis. Oh, yeah, she's got hysteria. Yes. Which was so many things. Yes, it's like a catch-all. Well, it's like, it's like consumption. Um, um, consumption well, can, wasn't really a disease. Well, consumption was many, many, many diseases that just happened to affect the lungs. So, but you, I think consumption was consumption was also um, tuberculosis. You know? Commonly, it could also be lung cancer. It could also be any of the kind of um, black lung kind of um, industrial type inhalation kind of diseases. It really what it meant yeah. was you were either suffering from something that inhibited your breathing, like COPD, or you were actively dying of something that was destroying your lungs, like tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think you know Harley Warren in this in this this conversation that he's having about Carter's nerves is just really like patronizing, and I, I like like he says. Um, it's fiendish work, Carter, and I doubt if any anyone without ironclad sensibilities could ever see through it and come up alive. Yeah, like, and, and I, I, I like this little exchange because it really does establish that um, Harley is seeing himself as like the tougher of the two, the the more kind of capable of dealing with this situation, which is a critical piece of foreshadowing for what happens shortly afterwards. Right. It's like it's like um it's like in Star Trek the Next Generation they always they always take a lot of time to set up the fact that like Worf is really strong and a fighter and a badass so that when later in the show the alien comes and beats the crap out of Worf it's like <laughs> what the heck like you know Worf gets beat up so many times simply because he's the biggest and strongest and there has to be that contrast between like he beat up Worf. What's going to happen? Oh, Data comes along and fixes it. No problem. Oh, oh yeah. Poor Worf. <laughs> he, t- he takes a lot of abuse. I'm glad. He, I'm glad he gets his own ship in Deep Space Nine. Yes. <laughs> no, but it, it 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 is interesting because this does go from. Oh well, you know, I'm the more experienced person here. I know what's going on. I know what you know. Everything's going to be under control. I I alone can endure these great terrors. You stand here with the telephone and make sure no one disturbs us to, you know, maybe an hour later or a couple of hours later in the story. Um, you know what, Randolph? Just seal up the tomb and run. I'm as good as dead. Don't worry about it. Just run for your life. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. 
you know, completely, nope, this has all gone horribly wrong. I don't know. There's no recovery from this. Just seal it all up and don't let this thing out. Yeah. And not just like, not just like saying that. It's like, it's like frantic screaming that into the phone. Like, is he screaming? You know, yes. I, I mean, he is eventually. I, I think it's it anyway. initially it's more pleading. It's, it's like the, the feel I yeah. got for it was, it was very matter of fact like oh no i've miscalculated i can't recover from this you should get out of here yeah the first thing that he hears is it says i was nevertheless unprepared for the words which came up from that uncanny vault in accents more alarmed and quivering than any i had heard before from harley warren he who had so calmly left me a little while previously now called from below in a shaky whisper more pretentious than the loudest shriek God, if you could see what I'm seeing, like, like the, the, this is like the last time we talked about a Lovecraft story in the Dunwich horror, there was that whole section in it that was just like on a telephone, like two fan, a couple families talking about what's going on on the telephone. And as the, the Dunwich horror rampages around and makes yes. houses explode. And then the, like, the, the phone goes dead when the, right. Yeah. That, that was that was off. That that wasn't working quite as well as it should have been. This, this is working. No, and, and this is this is a fascinating. Um, you know, you know. Last time we we covered Zima Blue, and one of the things we said about Zima Blue was, this is exactly the correct amount of stuff in the story for what it's trying to do. It doesn't yes. need anything added. It doesn't need anything taken away. This is as good as this story will ever be. It is. It is completely perfect in in its sort of execution. This has a similar feel. You don't yes. need you don't need anything else to the story. Right. You, and you, you also know... don't need to take anything out. And that's the thing about Lovecraft right. is a lot of times with his stories, even the ones that I really love, like Call of Cthulhu, and especially like at the Mountains of Madness, there's like there's like a twenty page section in the Mountains of Madness that if I were an editor I'd just chop it. Oh that for out. God's sake. Oh look! It's, but it's, in this story, it's another decadent phrase. Let's let's look right. at what this one depicts. Oh, yeah. look at this architecture! It's like we've been looking at the bloody architecture for six hours, Lovecraft. Can we move on, please? <laughs> right. But in um, this story, in this story, there's nothing that I would take out. Like it's it's exactly no, what it and, needs and, to and, be. and the feel to some extent with this is it is, you know, there's a setup. We're in a graveyard. We're doing something that looks kind of like grave robbing. My friend called me, you know, a wuss, went underground to go and look at this horrifying monster, and then, bang! Friend is in a situation that's out of control, pleading to, to shut this whole thing down. And then you get to the end, and bam! Friend is dead, monster is talking to you. <laughs> yes. And, and that, 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 the implication of that, like, like when the first time that I read this, like, I could just imagine Randolph Carter standing in this graveyard. His friend had just been telling him, you know, my God, how horrible is this? Just put the slab on and run for your life. And then there's silence after a shriek. Oh, and I can, like, Randolph Carter's like, you know, Warren, Warren, where are you? What's going on? I can't then, tell you, Carter. It's too utterly beyond thought. I dare not tell yeah. you. No man could know and know it and live. Great God, I never dreamed of this. Stillness again, right. save for my now incoherent torrent of shuddering inquiry. His description of the voice at the end is really great, too. He says, um, oh, shall I see. say that the voice was deep, hollow, 
gelatinous, remote, unearthly, inhuman, disembodied. What shall I say? It was the end of my experience and the end of my story. Like, the, like there are some videos on YouTube that, that are representations of the story. And, and I always, when I, when I watch them, I'm always curious about how they'll render that voice in the end. Um, well, I, 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 think, like... I think that's, that's part of the, the trick, though. And, and I think it's one of the things that Lovecraft did that was one of, his more, uh, one of his strongest sort of tools that he had when he was writing, which is there are always questions. Right. You know, the Haunter in the Dark. Okay, so you, you see them, they, they come down, they take the guy's brain out in the farmhouse, they, they use his corpse as a meat puppet. Why? They never really go into why they're there, what they're doing. It's sort of implied they mind stuff, kind of. There seems to be very little reason why they should pick a fight with this guy, but they did. Um, right. A lot of things with Call of Cthulhu, you don't really know what agency the cults are operating under. Sure, they all worship right. Cthulhu, and, and sure, they have prophecies and things, but you don't really know why. Why are they doing this? What exactly is Cthulhu going to do? How long is it... You know, there's always these questions of what is going on with this this other thing that they've discovered that is just utterly inscrutable to whoever has discovered it. And I think in this one, it, it, it does this really well because the guy is just flat up like no it's it's burnt into my I, i've lost all these memories of these things this incident is burnt into my memory but yeah. i couldn't possibly describe this to you and you know yeah. you you even have that the friend who is clearly going through some some uh appalling trauma who can't describe this to his friend on the other side of the phone while it's happening to him right and i think you know the thing i i'm an empath like i i i can relate to how people are feeling pretty easily are you dead and, Troy? and so for yeah, i'm betazoid yeah so <laughs> so for me um for me the thing that i was thinking is is trying to think about like what kind of an experience would cause a person to act like harley warren did and none of the answers are good answers like the, no and, and my imagination just like he says something, there's one point where he talks about legions of something. So there's legions of some horrible thing down there. But what, what they are, or what they're doing down there, you know, oh, here it's, we go. it's all in your imagination. A cry that gradually rose to a shriek fraught with all the horror of the ages. Curse these hellish things, legions, my god, beat it, beat it, beat it! Which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Which they also point out there that this, you know, that this this very sort of collected characters now using just very kind of slang terms to be like, ah, get out of here. Yeah. And I know, I think this is one of the stories that gets a lot of film adaptions as well. And I, I, I have trouble seeing how it's, it's a, it's, it's not even, I was thinking when I was reading this for, for the podcast, it's not even really a story. It's more like a vignette. It's like a, it's like one event or recollection of an event there's really no like yeah there's no there's no build up and and the way that the, the story is structured is they've they've been entirely wiped out um their own agency so you, you right. don't know why this circumstance has occurred why or how the person got from the graveyard to the point place where they are uh, recalling the story to people they don't really discuss who 
Right. So yeah, he was just found wandering aimlessly right. on the Gainesville Pike. So it, yeah, vignette is is probably a very good description. Here is a place. Here is a thing that happened. Done. The implications of it are left up to the reader, and the the whys are left mm-hmm. up to the imagination of the reader. It's just like this. This story is for me. It's it's a punch in the face. Like it, it's it's quick and it's. In, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say it's dirty because I think it's really polished for. It, it it is it is pretty polished. It it's also unusually open mm-hmm. because they define very little in this. I mean, did he ever close a tomb? You don't know. Right, you what don't are know. these are legions that are coming legions, out? You don't know. Are did, there are there legions of something crawling out of that desert? I you know yeah. when I read it when when I read it just the other day for the podcast, I I wasn't even sure that this graveyard that they were in was real like um, is it is it is it some was it some place that harley warren summoned out of the ether with his book because i i don't know i haven't been in very many swamps but i i don't think that like <laughs> a an ancient stone you know tombstone graveyard would exist very well in the swamp so actually uh i mean I could see that uh, because, uh, especially in, in Florida, you know, swampland is, is is not really considered desirable. It's it's almost like a waste, um, even though it's critically important to water filtration and uh, mm-hmm. you know, biodiversity. It's it's seen as like a waste space. I can see a situation where people would just bury people in swamps or swampy ground because it was just cheap to get. Well, I mean, they used I'm to thinking do that like in Neolithic you know, times the the bog bodies in in England. Well, I, I, not in not Wales. even that, but just thinking, you know, um, Florida did have that. Um, if I recall correctly, Florida did have a lot of those sort of pop up towns along the railway, where they would just pop up a town, you know, throw up a quick cemetery, the town would fail and it would be gone. So suddenly you've got uh, a cemetery. Um, the cemetery exists for a, a city that no longer exists. Um, and I, I know there's several like that in Florida. Um, but it, it, I, I can see, I can absolutely see that being a real thing where you would just have a cemetery that just bang is hidden in the swamp somewhere because whatever it was built for is no longer there. Presumably because it either burnt down or fell into the swamp. Because <laughs> they're really harsh environments. Um I was just looking through the story to see if I could pick out the line that made me feel like maybe the graveyard was not a place that was normally there, but I can't. I I, I would I like I would like line. to know, um, because I didn't get that vibe. Although I will say it is making me think of um, if you've ever ever listened to the Magnus Archives, which is a mm-hmm. great story podcast. Um, one of the sort of malevolent gods in that is creates basically lost things and lost places and there is a, a not a, a kind of main thread related story but a again it's it's kind of like a vignette of somebody who walks into a lost space and is in a immaculate graveyard full of gravestones and it's like well this is weird and manages to back out and then realizes you know they're alone on a country lane their car is gone and they don't know what happened and really what happened is they just basically drove, um, for want of a better description, into a pocket dimension and then wandered out again. Mm-hmm. 
the, the, I get that vibe from this, though I don't know there's anything that I've read in here that makes me specifically think this is not a real place that they visited. Um, right. I just get that kind of otherworldly eth- ethereal vibe for the, the cemetery. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's an ancient cemetery. It, it's almost... They almost describe it as being cartoonish. Yes. Yeah, and like... Like... Randolph Carter's recollection of going there, like, there's one line where he says, like, you know, suddenly I found a lantern and a spade in my hand. Like, he's not... His memory of the experience isn't linear in the same sense that it should be. Like, he doesn't remember, you know, taking a lantern and a spade from Harley Warren. He just, like, they were just there suddenly. And it's kind of dreamlike. Um, and I just, like... Well, and I, I wonder with that if, if part of that dreamlike quality is not that the place itself is dreamlike, because... He doesn't seem terribly comfortable to be there, and it seems like a place that is is rotted to the point of destruction. I wonder if the dreamlike right. quality comes in because of his own his own loss of memory. Yeah, like this is a memory it, he that's... has, but it's not really his memory. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I also like how when they 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 open the lid of the of the tomb and like this miasma of vapor comes out that like is so horrible that they have to actually like back up and let it air out and <laughs> well it, it's a nice touch because you, you're instantly into a point where the, there's always the the implication of something unhealthy right so you know this they, is they, not they, a place that we should be right they they've they've opened the door and the, the minute they've opened the door it smells vile and there's a black uh, an unpleasant icus everywhere icus icor um that that is kind of an interest actually you know that's an interesting detail because in the Dunwich horror the smell and the the, the the kind of the black filth is how you you determine when the otherworldly creatures are moving around yes because it's implied um wilbur to a lesser extent and you know huge mutated brother to a greater extent create this smell and this this um sludge um mm-hmm. everywhere they go so that that's an interesting i wonder if that's a, a deliberate parallel or that was just a. no you know lovecraft was afraid of everything so there were probably certain smells that he was afraid of too <laughs> oh gosh but, it smells like know, sushi <laughs> <laughs> um, hey good sushi good sushi should not smell uh, good sushi would be nice but yeah this this story is just so good for me like it's so good that there's actually a story that i have half written i need to finish it but was inspired by this story and it's about um it's about some astronauts that are on europa that's one of saturn's moons i think right europa uh that sounds Um, good yeah so they're on Europa, and Europa is is a is an ice covered moon that is thought to have oceans underneath the uh, ice. And damn it, I um, should know this, and it, it's just I, it's too late, and I can't recall. It's it just properly. late, yeah. Europa. I moon. think it's Saturn. I think it's Saturn, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna check it because it's gonna no Jupiter. Jupiter we were both wrong. Okay. All right, we just have to turn in our nerd cards now. I I um, I feel like I have to uh, um, have my physics degree revoked. 
so right, so Jupiter's moon Europa and um the the story <laughs> Sorry, I have to the, I have the, to write Alistair Reynolds for forgiveness. <laughs> right. And and say your penance to Isaac Asimov as well. Um, well no, that would so, be okay. Asimov was um Asimov was a um chemist. Oh, okay. Um Maybe Clark. Clark was a... Or Carl Sagan. Oh, Carl Sagan, yeah. No, Carl Sagan. Yeah. So so the story that I have half written is about astronauts that are on Europa, but the story is not from their point of view. The, the kind of hand-wavium plot effect that I had to kind of mimic the telephone in this story is that there are, there's a, a computer system on either side... On, on Earth and on Europa that are quantumly linked. Hmm. And so that that computer system is instant communication, but the video feed is, you know, however many minutes it takes to stream data to the Earth old. So they're communicating through this text-based quantum entanglement communication, which is, you know, total hand-wavium, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. But, I mean, um, it is a thing they're trying to develop. Um, right right it's not completely made out of whole cloth in my head but um but so the 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 text communication between the earth-based scientists and the astronauts is instant but the video feed is delayed and so creepy things start happening with the with the text-based thing and there's some kind of interference and maybe another entity that's also mm-hmm. communicating and and it's uh, it's a story I need to finish because it's super creepy in my head. But um, but it was inspired by the statement of Randolph Carter because just the idea it, of it, it makes like, me think of um, I played a game because I play a lot of games. I played a game called Pollen, um, which is a like a click and point um, adventure game. Definitely worth picking up if you get it cheap. Mm-hmm. What, one of the interesting things about that world is. The Cold War kind of collapses and the US and Russia join forces. So there becomes this great space program. You know, it's it's like the late 90s, 2000s. They have faster than light ships, but they still have like Commodore 64 style computers to run them. Because right. they never made any great breakthroughs in, in computing or networking. So there's just these, <laughs> these, these fascinating logs where they're talking about moving... Um, drums of data tapes around for backup or is it a data drum it's something like that that's just Mm -hmm. it's all this very mechanical feeling kind of computer stuff i just i just thought it was was an interesting touch because um you know you're setting up your character at the start of the the game and you're plugging a punch card in and and tapping the buttons Mm. Um, computers like did you know you probably knew this but the the computer that that um, that ran the space shuttle was less powerful than a than a graphing calculator. <laughs> so the space shuttle was uh, I forget if it was using Intel eighty eighty or eighty eighty one processors, which were the two first commercial processors that Intel made. So yeah, I towards that you'd know a lot more about that. Well, than me. <laughs> t- towards towards the end of the uh, space shuttle's life. Um, not that they weren't fantastic to go and watch launch, but um, mm. towards the end of their life, they actually start to have processor failures because uh, processors will suffer from like uh, an well, a electrical damage, but heat failure. They'll degrade over time. 
Um, they were actually having to go to computer museums and go to like retro computing fairs to be like, so anybody got any old processors lying around, eh? Eh? Because they literally didn't have spares and they couldn't re-engineer what they had because there was a 30-year delay in software. And you, you've got to think, if you have a software code base that you've developed internally that doesn't get updated for, say, five years, if the guy who wrote it has left, it may as well be magic garbage. Um, so the idea of trying to go back and decode 30-year-old um, source code that was purpose-written for... Yeah, no, I can't even begin to imagine trying to have to do that. Um, you know. I can just imagine the NASA guys going to like some some computer fair and being like, so, which of you nerds want to help the space program? Let's go. <laughs> the, the one I'm always picturing is like, well, Frank, we need you to rewrite the uh, space shuttle code so uh, it can use an Intel Pentium 4. Right, and then just turning around, walking straight out the nearest building and jumping. Because, <laughs> oh God, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, anyway. So, that, that yeah. terrible digression aside. Um, no, this is, this is a, a, an interesting piece, because this is a lot of the better Lovecraft tropes and styles sort mm-hmm. of sharpened into a very nice little scalpel cut. Yeah. Bam! That's as much Lovecraft as you need, mm-hmm. and yeah, this, that's would, it. this would be this would be my candidate for like if someone came to me as like, I want to start reading Lovecraft. Where should I start? Go to the statement of Randolph Carter. I might not, and the only reason I might not is because it is just so very short. I mean, this is not quite three pages on my my um, my tablet here. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I mean, it, it has a, a premise. They are doing dark science. There are lots of unknowable things. It has a decrepit, a, impossibly ancient setting. There is a, a sense of unhealthiness, like something otherworldly is happening. And then you have indescribable monsters and somebody who is not the narrator dies. That's a line yeah. on your Lovecraft bingo card Maybe right dies. there. Maybe dies. Hopefully. Randolph Carter hopes that he dies. Well, hopefully dies. he dies. Well, I mean, whatever it is tells him he's dead, so... Right. What... But but wouldn't it be more horrible if that was Harley Warren? <laughs> because Because whatever it was knew how to pick up a phone and use it. That's right? true. That's true. So, um, what if it was Harley Warren? I think a lot of people feel... A lot of people that think about this story a lot more than I do, maybe... Um, think that what was inside the tomb was the ghouls, the the corpse eater ghouls that like are in um, uh, what's that other story? Pickman's model. Um, do you know I, I that's that's one I want to read. I haven't read that one yet. Oh, we'll have to do it. It's so good. Um, we will have to do not that next time though. Not next time. Yeah. yeah. Um. So do you have what's your what's your favorite part of this story? Is it the the ending? Is it the well the forbidden lore? Is it this this is this is my other? Um, I'm loath to say it's a complaint, but it, I guess it is really a complaint. Is it's just so damn short. So it's like, well, what's your favorite part of this short story? Well, um, it itself. <laughs> the the whole thing is is quite good. Um, right. Which which paragraph did I like? Ooh. Um. um no, for me, um, whew, 
That's a good question. I think, honestly... And I think I said this with the Dumbwich Horror, I like the build-up more than the actual execution. Mm -hmm. Because it's interesting. A, you're dealing with a different time period that has a, a, a... a much more basic technology base. So, I mean, now if this was going to happen, he would have a two-way walkie-talkie. Right. Maybe some kind of repeating device if they're going into caverns. Um, you wouldn't spool out cable like this. Right. Um, you know, there's no safety gear. They're not wearing hard hats or anything. He's just gone into a cave underground armed with a creepy book he got from India and a telephone. Right. Because they never, they never really describe the, the, the instrumentation, which is, again, another thing I like is it's it's very um what's the word i'm looking for it, it's concise it's very it's mm. just very, there's just a lot of brevity to this it is it is exactly what you need to convey the story and nothing else right um but i, I like the build up this graveyard's really creepy you have a very clear mental image of the graveyard we're doing this thing mm-hmm. you know what they're doing this whole thing is very oh yes you know two guys know what they're doing clandestine approach into the woods kind of thing it, it feels very um correct and true and consistent in what they're doing mm-hmm. and then the guy loses his mind because whatever they found is just horribly broken yeah i do like that section um but yeah i think i think the the build-up is a bit stronger than the actual payoff um yeah I not, as, not as because as... sorry go ahead I was going to say, not not because um, it's just left very open. I just... Um, I think setting out the, the scene, I think the environment they're in is slightly more interesting than trying to trying to figure out what the unknowable horror is inside the tomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think if, if, if he had sent the, the reader down into the tomb with Harley Warren, it probably it would have been longer for sure it would have been a longer story but it wouldn't have had the same well payoff well think think of it think of a payoff like this instead of you know being told over the phone what if he actually does get enough of his sort of nervous disposition together to go down into the tomb and when he gets down into the tomb the last thing he hears is you fool warren is dead yeah yeah yeah, that would be, yeah, a voice from the darkness behind him. Yeah, that would. Yeah, and, and again, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to beat on the story. I really enjoyed this. Um, mm-hmm. um, it literally a fun thing to read over a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a dark room at midnight. No. Um. <laughs> um yeah. I no. I, I enjoyed this. I, I, I would. I would probably recommend this. I probably wouldn't send somebody to this as their first Lovecraft because it is so short. Um, yeah. And honestly, I think we touched on this in another podcast. There's some stuff about Lovecraft you should probably know before you get into a lot of his literature. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I might I might have gone with something like The, the Haunter in the Dark or... Um, anyway. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. I think... Um... That last line, like, you fool, Warren is dead, um, that's one of his better, like, italics one-liners. I I don't remember if it was in The Rats in the Walls, or there's one other one that's kind of along a similar vein, but there's one, like, 
there's like a yeah. one-liner that, that one at the end of Call of Cthulhu where Cthulhu yells after them like oh you can go away on your little boat but I'm gonna find you doesn't hit the spot <laughs> no but there's another story I think it's the rats in the walls and it's like at a chapter break when the big re- when one of the big reveals comes the the italics line that's supposed to be like you know the punch in the mouth is um, that the creatures were gibbering in the Dutch language. Oh. Uh, and um, like... <laughs> I, I find that sometimes with some, some Lovecraft stuff is by the time he gets to like the big, oh, this thing has happened, it's it's been foreshadowed pretty heavily. Right. And, and it's just know, like, I, I... oh, is he, is he, is he, has he gone into the kitchen? Oh, he made the coffee that, you know, you've already talked about him buying the bag of coffee in the coffee machine and liking hanging around coffee shops and, you know, lived in Colombia for four years. Gosh, jeez, I didn't know that the coffee was coming. Crazy. I I do feel he does that sometimes. And I I don't know if it's deliberate. But I wonder wonder if that that only feels um, contrived or derivative to us because of how influential this kind of writing has been on modern horror and... And weird fiction. You, like. you know, that's that's kind of how I felt about the Beatles for a long time. Right. I, I was uh, especially in my twenties. You know, sacrilege living in the UK, but I I didn't like the Beatles all that much. Um, mm-hmm. As I've played more guitar and I've I've gotten older, I I appreciate the context and some of what they did. But it's like this could have been any other band in the in the sixties, and it's well, yes, because every other band in the sixties was copying what they were doing. Some of the reveals and some of the things are hokey and obvious to us, and but I wonder if it's because these tropes and these ways of revealing the mysteries of the story are are so common to us now that we see it coming. Or I wonder if they would have been surprising to readers at the time, you know, back in the thirties, the twenties and thirties, or if, or if they were even like, okay, come on, Lovecraft, I saw it coming from a mile away. You, you, but, know, you I, know, I, I think maybe a mix of both, because I, I know things like I, you know Herbert West Reanimator is is considered one of the, the kind of the orig- origins of like the modern concept of a zombie, like a reanimated right. corpse type zombie. Um, yeah. But then there's definitely stuff where it's just like, yeah, this just wasn't written very well. And, and right. you know, the, the other thing to remember as well is he wasn't terribly successful as a writer in his lifetime. No. Um, I think the most he ever got paid for a story was like $300. Yeah. I mean, most of his professional life, I think he actually worked as an editor. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... Some of it, yes. Some of it is, is oh yeah. Well, we we see that 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 trope, that design, kind of coming up. Some of it, yeah. I don't I don't always know if he was the best writer, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff in his writing that that uh, as a writer myself, I'm like I'm like, come on, man, like <laughs> do an editing pass or something. Jeez, like um, yeah, take those twenty pages out of the Mountains of Madness. Oh my gosh. I don't think you've ever said anything quite so true about that. Um, yeah. And, and you know, like... Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I love this story. And it's, it's like... It's as perfect a story as Lovecraft can mm-hmm. get. Like, as you're going to get from Lovecraft. It's like... It's so good. I love it. Agreed. And I, it's, I, I, and it's I scary. Really too. 
for me it's it's scary like the the thought of of that experience mm-hmm. would be horrifying oh yeah definitely so you're glowing recommendations all around um what are we covering next time i don't think we've decided or even talked about it i'd suggested ubik um, oh yeah now that the trick with ubik okay. is that would be a uh, that's a philip k dick book so that's like a novella length oh i'll have to see if i can get it um for for the cheap, but, but i'm open to that philip k dick is is great like Actually, I have a physical Blade copy of it here. I can see it. I can see it literally just turning around. Oh, awesome! Yeah. I've actually never even heard of that story, so I know nothing about it. It's a weird one, um, and uh, I know we have a podcast called Weird Sequence. We haven't looked at any urban fantasy. We haven't looked at any new weird stuff. We will, but um, that that is a book that is very strange. Like, there's a couple of pieces in it, almost to the point of incoherence. Um, so yeah, uh, you want to try that one? Yeah, sure, I'm game. Cool. All right. Uh, next time, then we are going to do Ubik. U B I K, by Philip K. Dick. Thanks All for right. listening. I could have seriously done without my ISP dropping out halfway through there. They are bloody useless. Mm. <laughs> if you enjoyed our podcast consider liking, subscribing, and maybe even recommending to a friend. We'll see you soon.